Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Larry Korea. But I'm feeling much better now. Today's episode, High Tides, Low Tides. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rider Dojo. Glad to have you all with us today. How are you feeling, Larry? I'm feeling good because today's episode is Return of Bad Twitter Voice. Bad Twitter Voice. Now, I mean, it won't actually be from for Twitter people. This it'll, is be, actually, it'll be Amazon, bad Amazon reviewers. This voice. is actually Amazon reviews. Same thing. It's the same guy. Okay, so this, this episode is going to be broken into two parts. Um, as you might have, might have surmised from the title of the episode, High Tides and Low Tides. So the idea here is high tides raise all ships, low tides sink everybody, okay? Uh, and so we want to talk about some of the things that we've seen where it, it kind of feels like people are just taking a crap on anything that's successful. And then we also, at, at the second half of the episode, we want to talk specifically about the very real things that actually are hurting the genres um, the authors and, and so on and so forth. I just, you guys know, very rarely on this show, do we ever name names of authors in a negative way? Overwhelmingly, we try, when we talk about other authors as examples, we try to stick with positive examples. Right. And when we use negative examples, we try not to like insult that author. Right. Um, that said today, uh, that is not the case because right. we do have a couple authors who, through their behavior, have actually damaged the entire genre in a way that is not, is not hurting them. They got theirs. They got their money. Yeah. It's hurting young authors. Right. It's hurting up-and-coming authors. So let's start with more of the high tide side. Um, let's get the good news out of the way first so that we can we can end on bad, bad Amazon reviewer voice. Okay? So high tides. What do we mean by this? We, what we mean is, and, and I guess what brought this about is, I've seen a number of people, um, whether we're talking about Twitter, um, and I guess a lot of it is is because of um, stuff that I've seen aimed at, say, people like J.K. Rowling or people like um, like like Tolkien, where people keep talking and looking at these authors and saying, "Oh, well, these authors don't matter," um, or they don't write things the way I would write them, so therefore. They're crappy and we should stop listening to them. I hate all young adult fiction, so we should stop um, reading young adult fiction. Um, I dislike all romance novels. Therefore, romance novels are hurting uh, are hurting the industry. Yeah, science fiction and fantasy aren't serious and they're not serious literature and it's just a waste of time. Or J.R.L. Tolkien is dead. How can we keep putting him on bookshelves? Yeah, why is J.R.L. Tolkien on bookshelves instead of me? Yeah, and, well, and, and that and that one is a that's a legit we've that's seen, a legit quote. We've seen people say that, yeah. and that just shows they don't understand how book sales work. Right. So the thing that I guess the point that I want us to to discuss here on this side, Larry, is it's super super easy for negativity to encroach on us as authors. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of a poison. Yeah, it's something that. Uh, I see too many authors fall into this trap where they want to be really negative about everybody else. And here's the thing. There are some authors I can't stand on a deep personal level because I've dealt with them as other people. I mean, I've dealt with them as human beings. I've interacted with them and I just think they're trash. But that said, I don't wish them failure uh, as as a writer. And I know they have fans. Mm -hmm. I know they have fans who love their work. And you know what? Good. In fact, there was one the other day. It was a writer who I can't stand, like on a personal level. I just can't stand the guy. He's just a dork. But um, I saw a guy I respect who's in, uh, he's kind of like uh, the news media punditry kind of thing. But he's a, he's a very smart guy. But he was talking about how he loved this guy's new book. And I was like, dude, you are an expert on certain geopolitical things. And I love your take, but your taste in literature sucks. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that because Why? At that point, all I'm doing is I'm pooping on somebody else's enjoyment. Well, and it's very easy to single out an author, okay? So so we'll use J.R.R. Tolkien as an example. It's very easy to point at J.R.R. Tolkien and, and find things that you dislike in the way that he wrote things. That's easy. 
Oh, very easy, especially since he was a product of an entirely different time, That's an right. entirely different style that was not even, in his time, it was an oddity. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to to negatively point at that and say, uh, well, you know, Tolkien's stupid and he does these dumb things and blah, 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 blah. All you're doing, you're not, I mean, it's not like Tolkien's going to listen to you and change how he writes. One, he's freaking dead. Um, and two, even if he was, if, even if he was alive, he'd tell you to pound sand. Okay. You're not hurting that person. You're not hurting the author. You're hurting when you, when you talk negatively in this way, the only person that you're hurting, well, you're hurting two different people. You're hurting one yourself because you're, you're being pretty narrow minded. Well, you're saying, if you're doing this as an author and you're doing this under your author, remember guys, everything you say. Yourself and your brand. It's part of your brand. And let's say that you're an author and you have your whatever series that you write and you start trashing on somebody unfairly and the fans of that other guy that you're trashing, are they going to be more or less inclined to check out your work? Well, and, and, and that was, and that's my point, Larry, is that the people that you're really insulting, it's not the author, it's not yourself and your kind of narrow mindedness. You're, you're insulting fans. Yeah. Like, so say, for example, I critique Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, but I'll say positive things about Stephen King too. As do I. I mean, I say them all the time. Yeah. Well, because like. Positive and negative. Wordsmithing, fantastic. He is a fantastic wordsmith. He's a very evocative storyteller. The dude is a master coming up with creepy stuff. Especially short fiction. Oh, his short fiction is actually amazing. brilliant. Like I have nothing really negative to say about his short fiction. I, but I also will say, professionally speaking, I think his endings are terrible. Yeah. Uh, not always. Sometimes they're good, but mostly his endings are just weak. And it's, yeah, it's a, kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, but the thing is, I'm, I'm going to be fair here, and so I'm going to say that I'm not just going to like rip on the. I'll rip on the dude as a human being because he doesn't know which end of the gun the bullets come out of, but he doesn't stop him from talking about it. It's the bottom. Yeah, the bottom part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's like I'm not going to rip on Stephen King fans and say, "Well, you like Stephen King, you're dumb." No, he's actually a really talented dude, and I can understand he's been doing this since the '70s, and he's produced dozens out of hundreds of of, but he's got dozens of classic books that are really extremely good. So I'm not going to rip on Stephen King as an author, even though I think he's got some flaws as an author. I'm going to say, I mean, like, if you're a fan of Stephen King, I get it. I understand why you're a fan of Stephen King. That is an evocative storyteller. You know, more power to you. Some people like will bag on Dean Koontz because they think Dean Koontz is like, uh, you know, pulpy, predictable, yeah. formulaic. Popcorn. Right. Popcorn. But then again, Dean Koontz, once again, written hundreds of novels, has dozens of novels that are classics, that are brilliant. They're great novels. Um, people, I mean, one of my personal favorites, I'm a, I'm a big Louis L'Amour fan. I've seen oh. people rip on Louis L'Amour. Yep. He's so formulaic. He was so pulpy. No, no. He was writing for the market at the time. Well, people rip on on Robert E. Howard for the same. Oh, reasons. and I'll fight you on that. Oh yeah, like I'll straight why. up, I'll, I'll cut, I'll cut you. Okay, because yeah. Robert E. Howard was a genius, and honestly, if he had lived longer, he would be the greatest American author. Well, I think I, I think it's very easy for us when we see people ripping on authors who we who we love. For in in mine and your in your cases where we we firmly agree with each other on the cases of of guys like Louis Lamour and Robert E. Howard. Okay, we, I mean, I, I think you and I. Are Pretty well lockstep on that. Oh yeah, they're 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 awesome. They're freaking rad. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a lot harder, I think, for individuals to look at at a piece of fiction, um, a literary work that they dislike, and decide to be positive about it. Okay. Case in point here, Stephanie Meyer. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. This I is an one. I dislike her actual writing mm-hmm. intensely. Not my thing at all. It does not work for me. In any facet at all. But. However, when you and I talk about Stephanie Meyer, for example, um, and we've done this on this show and we've, we've done it publicly. Well, I guess the show is technically public, whatever. (laughs) Anyway, point is, um, we always say how appreciative we are of Stephanie Meyer. And that's because Stephanie Meyer and, and a lot of these authors who, even if you don't like them. It's okay, but you need to recognize the good that they are doing 
for the genres. Yeah, Stephanie Myers in particular is one that like not my style at all. And in fact, I've talked about this on the show. One of the things I owe my career to is timing and that I came along writing something that was diametrically different. It's still in the urban fantasy genre, same genre mm-hmm. vaguely, even though she's more romance. More um, YA, yeah. But I came along writing novels with vicious vampires and vicious killer werewolves and, and getting back to the horrific roots of the genre at just the right time that that the market saturation had gone very much romantic vampire yeah. Stephanie My- led by Stephanie Myers less less sexy more stabby and even actually before that so when I was originally coming up and I started thinking about doing this is more Anne Rice than Stephanie Myers sure sure same kind of thing though so I did something entirely different but I actually owe a big part of my career to the market at the time saying hey look, we want to we've seen this other thing we've done this for the last few years we want to return to our roots we want to do something different so even though I'm diametrically opposed to her in style. I still, uh, the rising tide of her success, actually I'm an offshoot of it in a way, because even though we are totally different, if she hadn't become so successful and sold so many books to so many people and become such a cultural juggernaut, there might not have been a hunger for Monster Hunter International. That's absolutely correct, Larry. Um, and, and, and I want to point out, I want to take it even a step further, and I want to say that the Venn diagrams of, of your fan bases... Okay. It's not like that they're just touching on the very edge of the circle. There's overlap. And that's because contrast is everything. Okay. In, in, your, specific, in your specific example, contrast is everything. And that's, she was writing sexy stuff. You were writing stabby and shooty stuff. Okay. And so when readers of one book saw the other, it was something different. It wasn't just more of the same. And therefore, it was, it was easy for them to pick up and say, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Then instead, of, instead of sexiness, well, um, these things will eat your face, so let's shoot them in the face. Yeah. Um, and it takes, it takes an awful sort of substantial ego to look at a fan base of, say, say, say someone like Stephanie Meyer in this case, and say, there's no way in hell that her fan base does not have overlap with people who are reading my stuff. There's not a freaking chance. There's always overlap. Now, so, so part of being a writer is you're going to be critical Mm -hmm. because you got to be critical of your own stuff to be a writer. Writers are the most critical reviewers. We have to be. Otherwise, we're, we're crap and we're going to be terrible writers. We have to be critical to ourselves and we have to be critical about all the stuff we read. That said, even if it's something you hate, think about how you present your hate to the public. And in some cases, you might want to just keep it to yourself because it's just going to damage your brand. This is nuts and bolts business here, guys. Yep. If you are a little upstart sci-fi writer and you want to rip on the greats of the field. If you want to start ripping on Dune. Maybe you oh, slow your roll. Slow your roll, man. Because yeah, Dune, once again, product of his time, third person omniscient, all this weird stuff that we don't really do nowadays. It's out of favor. It's out of fashion. But it's still a cultural juggernaut. Same thing if you want to rip on Ender's Game. You're going to run to the same thing because there are millions of science fiction readers who have a very fond spot in their heart for Ender's Game because they read that book when they were eight or ten years old. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go out there and your public persona is going to talk about, hey, that stuff you love is stupid, and here's why it's stupid, well, guess what the readers are going to think of that? So you need to tread carefully with this. And I, once again, though, guys, we are critical, and you need to be honest, but also, you know, this is like the old uh, the old Mormon saying, be yourself, be your best self. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of thing. How are you presenting this? Like, I'll bag all day long on on the new Star Wars. Like, I'll rip well, on yeah. new Star Wars. It's because but that's a, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, saying, but as a writer, you know, I, well, we're going to talk about a couple writers in the next section who I think are really damaging. They're lowering the tide. But I'm not going to bag on their work. No. I'm not going to bag on their work because their fans love those books. I'm going to bag on their work ethic. Well, and, and I am never, ever going to tell someone what not to read. No. There's you know? a lot of stuff out there that's not for me and I don't like it. The, the more people read Doesn't mean it's in general, the better it is for everyone who writes. J.K. Rowling was honestly the single most important thing uh, for writers. Uh, yeah. The most important cultural phenomena for writers of the last 
20 years probably because she got more people into reading books than anyone else, period. Well, and, and made it so, you know, kind of forced her way like the, like the Kool-Aid man through the walls <laughs> saying, saying, no, no, <laughs> anyone and everyone can read this and anyone and everyone should read this. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. It was like the opposite of gatekeeping. Yeah. It was like. Oh no, it was, it was burning yeah. down every gate impossible. Like yeah, it was, they were nuking just, it from orbit just to be sure. And yeah, at the time, because it was such a cultural phenomenon for there for a while, it was, it could get really super annoying as a writer to have like everybody you talk to the, that they could only relate to Harry Potter. Yeah. And hence the saying there for a while, like read another book because every analogy they have is like, I'm a huffle slither and a slither puff and a, a jiggly griff or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I think you kind of mixed Pokemon in there, but whatever. It's all good. I, I did actually read the books, but I, whatever, I don't really yeah. remember. But the thing is, like, once again, not for me, doesn't matter. Cultural phenomenon, people loved it, good for them. Yeah. And so the, when you look at these things, when you look at all of these big time authors that are coming in, or you're just looking at a slew of mid-list or small authors that are coming in. Um, a lot of them bring in people into the, into the field of play. Okay. They bring people with them. Um, writing a book is, is very rarely done in a vacuum. I've got a lot. I've got a lot of readers that started with Harry Potter. So do I. You know, Guaranteed. I, I I have a lot of readers that read this thing called Monster Hunter International. Sometimes I'm the gateway drug, you know? Yeah. Whatever, um, man. If it makes people happy, that's what counts. And people need to stop looking at this like it's a zero-sum game. Um, the pie, so to speak, okay, business terms here, the pie of that represents the entire proportion of, or the entire population of readership in the world, that pie does not stay the same size from one day to the next, from one minute to the, from one moment to the next. It is continually expanding or shrinking based upon various factors. The more authors that come in and bring their respective readerships with them, whether it's five people or five million people, that is going to change the size of the pie. Those people, once they are in the readership, once they are in the pie, they do not just buy one book, and then skip town. They stick around to read other things. Even if that author writes something that maybe kind of sucks, that's okay. Because as soon as a reader reads a lot of books, okay, look, you and I, we, we both started reading things like Dragonlance, um, you know, a lot of Forgotten Realms stuff, and, um, or, or, you know, Terry Brooks, uh, Louis L'Amour, as we've said, C.S. Lewis, some of those books these days, if I were to go back and read them today, they wouldn't carry the same weight to me today as they did back when I first read them. But reading them in, the, in that time period has changed me to the point where um, it, it caused me to, to seek out other books, whether I, that I wanted to be just as good, that I wanted to be better, that I was like, well, pfft, as long as it's even half as good as, as this book, then it's going to be awesome. Point is, as long as, as long as these readers are out there, it's your job as a brand manager for yourself to make sure that you are in some way appealing to as many people as you can possibly get. If JK Rowling brings five gajillion people to them and only 1% of them uh, attach to you, well, that's, that's a small percentage of a gajillion that you didn't have before. If, if a reader brings, or if an author brings in a hundred people into the giant pie of readership, um, but those hundred people, maybe they, they read the first book from Joe Schmo authordom and they're like, ah, this book sucks. But then they see your book and they read your book and they attach to it and they're like, you know what? This book was really good. It was better than that last thing I read. That's a win for you too. So again, guys, point here. High tides raise all ships. Unless you're poking holes in your own ship. At that point, you're just going to sink. 
After the break, we'll talk about the low tide. So let's. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's get into those people that keep punching holes in not just their own ships, but more so in everybody else's ships. Hello, Word Mercenaries. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., host of the Novel Marketing Podcast, here to bring you Book Marketing Commandment number six, Thou Shalt Own Thy Own Platform. Chicken coops have free food for the chickens because the chicken is the product being sold. Don't be a chicken. Be an owner, not a sharecropper, and pay for your own website, podcast, and email newsletter. If you're not a paying customer, you are easier to ignore, silence, and cancel. Don't waste your time trying to become social media famous. Instead, spend your time honing your craft so that you can write books good enough for your readers to talk about on social media. To learn more about how to promote your book with methods that actually work, subscribe to my podcast, Novel Marketing, or visit novelmarketing.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, Larry, so first half we were talking about the positives, how how we need to stop being so negative about everyone else's success or um, just the fact that other people are just different authors and they're bringing different crews into this giant pie. And we use the analogy of, of, of ships being raised or lowered by tides. Um, so I think what we want to talk about now is there's a couple individuals out there who are hurting fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, just this might in happen general. in other genres too, but specifically today we're going to talk about epic fantasy. Yeah. And 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 I want us to personalize this because this this literally has is impacted you and I. I'll use some examples. Okay, so very specifically the two guys that I'm talking about are two of the biggest names in epic fantasy. Yeah. And that's George R R Martin mm-hmm. and Patrick Rothfuss. Because what we have here for those of you that aren't familiar, these are two of the biggest names in fantasy with uh George Martin uh, had his uh, Game of Thrones, Song of Fire and Ice novels, and he was writing them, and then he got an HBO show, huge, mega, mega, mega hit, therefore well, and then they had a terrible ending. Well, George never finished the series, and I believe the last book came out, what, 12 years ago now? Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. So it was a big epic series, and he kept telling everybody it was going to be like seven books or whatever. I don't even know. Not not my, once again, not my thing, right? Not, not my, I, I prefer to read about heroes, not victims and thugs. Right. Okay. And I prefer to write that. Now, Patrick Rothfuss, he uh, had uh, two books. He did one book. that was a huge, incredible mega hit. Like insane. I mean, in fact, it's still, I think it's been out like 15 years now, 16 years, something like that. Uh, And it is still every week on Nielsen Bookscan in the top 40 around America. I mean, it's using the top 10 uh, all these years later. And then he had a sequel, wasn't quite as popular, wasn't as good from what I understand. And he's been promising the third book for, what, 12 years? I think, yeah, I think 12 years, 10 okay, years, but, something like that. But we got in these two situations. And the other one that gets brought up is Robert Jordan with Wheel of Time. Mm, that's a different game. And it's totally but... not fair because Robert Jordan died. Yeah. Robert Jordan got sick and died before well, he could finish the series. And even at his worst, I mean, he was still putting out books every, I think, three years. Yeah. At the tail end, which is, I mean, he's still putting still, out books. Considering the man was dying. Considering he was dying. And he knew he was dying. He still- yeah worked. Yeah. Now, yeah. now again, we're not talking about quality of writing to quality of fiction. No, I'm not going to trash any of these guys. I'm not going to trash either of these two guys as far as their ability as writers. No. And, and people, people who read their stuff and like it, Hey, whatever. I mean, you read that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So here's the, thing. if you're a Game Go. of Thrones fan, you don't need to yell at me because I, I, I got nothing against the books themselves, but let me talk about what's going on here, guys. The two biggest names in Epic Fantasy uh, for a long time. And there are, there's more now that came up that are the opposite of such as Brandon Sanderson. Brandon <laughs> works. Yeah. And produces like mad. <laughs> but what happened was George and Patrick did these series and they promised an ending. Now, there's no such thing as unwritten contracts. Unwritten contracts are a figment of your imagination. The only contract here is between them and their publisher. But they were telling people that this is a series. It has a finale. Millions of people bought into these books. Mm-hmm. And what happened was over time, uh, as time has gone on, it's become increasingly obvious that they're not going to finish the books. They no. might, maybe, but I, I sincerely doubt it. I, I, I doubt it. Um, they got theirs. They got their money. They, they did. You know, they, they sat down, they wrote some stuff. Uh, 
in 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 Martin's case, he got he got shows and, and he keeps getting spinoffs. Well, shows. he's got I think H- another... he's got HBO money. He will yeah. never be able to spend before yeah. he dies. He's got so much money; it doesn't matter to him. That's right. And Rothfuss, same thing. He's got his royalties have got to be insane, and other stuff. I'm not going to talk about the guy's character other than his work ethic. But what we have here is a situation where the biggest names in epic fantasy made a promise, did not fulfill it, left millions of fans feeling burned. Now, this is the lower part. This is the part that sucks. Guys, epic fantasy tends to be series-based. Yeah. A whole bunch of big books. It takes time to write a whole bunch of big books. When you start an epic fantasy series, you have no guarantee that it's going to be financially lucrative, but it's going to be a giant time suck. So when you write that first book in your new, uh, new epic fantasy series, if the readers do not purchase that first book you're not going to be able to take all those months and years it takes to write another book. You're not going to be able to do it because you can't afford to. So what we've seen over the last decade is a strangulation of young up-and-coming fantasy authors because what happens is so many readers got burned by Rothfuss and Martin's laziness and apathy and lack of work ethic and lack of integrity. And I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a former dairy farmer. I can, I can, I'll beat anybody on work ethic, Okay. <laughs> So these, and this is going to get a little passionate here, so I'm sorry. I talked to so many authors, fantasy authors. They got their, their epic magnum opus fantasy novel. They put it out there, indie, or they sell it to a publishing house, and they're excited, and the publishing house markets it, and the sales are crap. And the book is brilliant. The book is beautiful. The book deserves a five or seven book series. It's majestic. But what happens is too many readers out there go, uh oh, I'm not going to read it because I wait till the series is done. I've been burned too many times. Yep. We see it every, I mean, every time. Every day. Every, I mean, every time any new author comes out with a piece of fiction. It, it seems especially prevalent in fantasy to me, Larry. Um, but but I know we see it. I know it happens in science fiction. I know it happens in all the other genres. But, well, just so but people fantasy, know, yeah. This isn't sour grapes for me personally because what happened for me before I ever did epic fantasy uh, I already had a very successful series in urban fantasy, and then I had uh, alternate well, history that was good too. So and it was finished. It was finished. And so I brought fans with me, so I am making plenty of money off Son of the Black Sword that I can keep going on the series. No and problem. yet. Oh, yeah. And yet. You and I have had this conversation when it comes to Saga of the Forgotten Warrior before. Oh, yeah. I still hear from people all the time. It's like, well, I'm going to wait till the series is finished. Well, guys, guess what? Even a successful epic fantasy series, it's still going to take them 10 years to get all the books out. Yeah. That's just how it is. That is the nature of the creation of the beast. But I want to illustrate this, guys. I have a couple of reviews here from Amazon for me and for some other authors. Yep. And I want to just show how insidious this attitude is. And this first yeah. one was for me for Tower of Silence, which came out recently. Right. Book four, Son of the Black Sword, or book four, Saga of the Forgotten Warrior, which is my epic fantasy series. So this is, these are Prepare Amazon. yourselves. Okay, here we go. Prepare <laughs> yourselves. Uh, here we go. I'm done for now. First off, I enjoyed the book and I like the series. Keep in mind, guys, this is a two-star review. <laughs> The problem is that I spent most of this book thinking about how long it's going to be until the next book. And when is he actually going to finish this series or the MHI series? I'm slightly older than the author. And if he actually finishes this series, that is actually his typo, or MHI in my lifetime, then I will consider buying the remaining books in the series. But I'm not going to buy any more installments in an incomplete series the way he's dragging things out there's just too many things that can happen to where he ends up not finishing at all (laughs) all right so Uh, so i I remember uh, so i remember when you posted about this online uh and i and i believe i texted you immediately saying larry how dare you how dare you not think of us um of us mere mortals uh i mean for all we know, tomorrow, you could die from having a meteor hit you in the face. Think of me, dang it. Well, I mean, he's, he's, it's pretty selfish of me, the way he's dragging things out. There's just too many things that could happen to where he ends up not finishing at all. Yeah, I could get shot by the ATF tomorrow. I mean, let's be honest. That's, well, I mean, Faust would first. Well, they shoot my dog first, and then I go out like John Wick, let's be honest. Yeah. I love that dog. Mm. But here's the thing, guys. Uh, he's talking about how I'm dragging through. I've written 
I believe I can't either. I've written 24 novels and like 60 something short stories and like eight novellas and edited like four anthologies since George Martin's last book came out. In 15 years. I, I'm You've done not, all of that in 15 years, yeah, Larry. Guys, I'm not dragging things out. I, and I'm actually very prolific. But here's the thing this attitude, this, I'm, I'm reading the one for me here, guys, but every author I know knows gets this. And it's well, asinine. Because, guys, what they're asking for is a logistical impossibility. If you could churn out a book a month, I mean, there's some guys who do. But guess what? Those are not the quality epic fantasy novels that endure through the generations. Right. Books take time. Books take effort. You can, I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine, great author, but we were up for a, uh, an award at the same time, but he's an indie author and he does the the, the turn, like the, he turns mm-hmm. them over fast. Yeah. So, and, and he was like, yeah, you're going to beat me. And I was like, well, dude, to be fair, okay, I'm, I'm coming at it where I spent like eight months working on this book, cleaning this book up and polishing this book. I was like, how long did you have to write yours? He's like, two months. I was like, well, there you go, man. I was like, he's like, even if we were equivalent in skill, even if we had the exact same skill set, I got four times as much time as you did to improve my final product. So in the minds of the readers, if they find one better, that is not an insult to you. That's just a fact of the market that you're working in. Mm-hmm. But what these guys are talking about here, this entitled attitude of like, well, I expect this overnight. Guys, that ain't going to happen. So uh, some of the, uh, Saga of the Forgotten Warrior is going to be done in 10 years from first book to last. Uh, because I got one book left. Mm-hmm. So barring me getting shot by the ATF because I own like 11 pistol braces. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, guys, this is not how it works. And I got another one. Um, I have uh, another one. It was actually sent to me by another author. And this is actually not for my book. Um, but this is just to illustrate that it's all of us. And this is a, a author. Uh, it's actually two authors, Rhett C. Bruno and Jamie Castle. Uh, and it's a book called Cold as Hell, which I actually did a blurb for. And because I love the first one in the series, and the audiobook was narrated by uh, the guy who was the main voice actor for Red Dead Redemption. Oh. It's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Super good audiobook. Okay, so here we go. This is a one star review. <clears throat> Get ready. I'm 72 and will be 73 by the time book two releases. At the current rate of publishing, I'll be 75 for book three. Sorry, guys. So little time. So many complete series to read. Recommend the books to 20 or 30-year-olds if you have a great memory and a lot of patience. Okay, first off, guys, I want to put this in perspective. Rhett uh, and Jamie here are turning out one book a year. One book a year. And they're getting one-star reviews from people. That's insane. Okay, but where does this where does this attitude come from? It's because of Martin Rothfuss burned an entire generation of fantasy authors. The other day, I was talking to a... I, I don't... Once again, I try not to name people, and this is a good dude. I was talking to this fantasy author. He's a young guy. Uh, way younger than me and Steve. Very talented dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very, very talented guy. I really like him. I'm really rooting for him. I can't say that he's a friend of mine because uh, uh, he writes for a publishing house that doesn't like me. <laughs> right. But, I mean, Steve knows what I'm talking about. Good dude. And we were having this conversation about how his uh, epic fantasy series, the same thing. He gets all the time people not wanting to check it out because it's not finished yet. Well, here's the kicker, guys. If you do not buy his first book, which is excellent and on its own, a fantastic, entertaining, quality entertainment product, if you do not purchase it, his publishing house will not give him contracts for the rest of the series. No, they'll drop him. They will drop you. They will drop you like a hot potato because you are red in the ledger. Yep. Yeah, at a certain point, um, for a lot of these people, again, we're both accountants, so it comes down to, you know... Again, in the ledger, are you red or are you black? You know okay. how many, how many potential uh, uh, Ericsons and Donaldsons and Gemmels tried and failed in the last decade because of the greed and hubris and laziness and dishonest apath- apatheticness of Martin and Rothfuss. We will yeah. never know. And and that's the trouble, Larry is. Uh, I've seen this too. Okay. So, so last year we were at, um, last September we were at Fanex and we spoke with hundreds upon hundreds of people. Um, a lot of them fans of yours, some of them fans of mine, some who'd never heard of us. Um, and, and we're pretty good about approaching, about letting anyone approach us and talk with us. 
about anything. Oh gosh, yeah, all day long. Um, we had a big old stack for you know about fifteen minutes of of servants of war. We sold a lot of books. We sold a lot of freaking books. We could have sold a tremendous amount more, but that got screwed. Um, so we had a ton of these these copies of servants of war. Uh, I had a number of people approach us who who didn't know who we were. Because, you know, the typical thing is, is someone goes by, you kind of catch their eye, you wave them over and you say, hey, you know, what do you like to read? And almost inevitably, someone will say something like, oh, I really like epic fantasy. I'm a big fan of Brandon Sanderson's because who isn't these days? So, uh, and I'd say, oh, well, that's awesome. You know, th- this book right here written by me and Larry Correa, uh, this is, this is epic fantasy. This is the first, you know, the first book in a new series. About half these people. As soon as you said first book in a new in a new mm-hmm. fantasy series, it was like the light in their eyes dimmed a little. They're like, "Oh, okay, um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not really keen on starting a new series right now." Or, well, you know, I I, I don't know that I can justify it because because of Rothfuss and Martin. It was never like that before those two guys. No. And there were plenty of authors, to be fair. There were plenty of authors who have left series hanging in the lurch Very before many. them. And the thing is, people kind of took that into account because back then they, they still realized that authors were human. Yeah. And they would realize that authors are human, fallible artists and artists die. Artists lose their way. Uh, they're human. They're fallible. Guys, if you are limiting yourself to an, uh, a series that has ended and you're not taking a gamble on these new guys, you're cutting their throats. You're yeah. ending their careers. You're depriving the world of potential great art. You need to get over yourselves. Yeah. If you're the jilted, if you're the jilted lover here, okay, and you're home sobbing in bed because you got stood up, all right, get over yourself. Uh, this is going to sound crude to me. Like I said, and this ain't personal. This ain't about me. I got mine. I'm doing good. I'm making good money. I got my fans. I had my fans before I got into Epic Fantasy, right? Guys, there are so many good authors out there. I, I plug them all the time. I plug young authors. I plug up and coming authors uh, almost daily. I'm, 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 I'm like, there's so many good authors out there. And so often you guys aren't giving them a chance. You know, I, I, I wonder this a lot, Larry. I, I, I seriously wonder this a lot. At the current stage of your career, if we were to take present-day Larry pr- with, with all of your sales, um, the fan base that you've cultivated, and so on and so forth, if we were to take all this and just kind of pick it up and move it backwards in time about 15 years, okay? I often wonder how many more copies of Servants of War we would have sold. Oh, guaranteed way more. Because it's the first book in a fantasy series. Yep. And that was before the taint of Martin and Rothfuss yeah. uh, had had spread. And honestly, I don't think people... I mean, it it's killing authors. It's killing an entire genre. Oh, if, if I'd written Servants of War all by myself and oh. I'd put it out by myself... DOA. It'd be dead. Yeah, DOA. It'd be dead. DOA. Even with my name on it and bringing my, and bringing a proportion of my, because every time it's a new series, you know. It, there, there's a different attach rate for new series yeah, no matter it, what. There's, so basically I have a Venn diagram, guys, of each one of my series and how much they overlap as far as, uh, but it looks like a stack of pancakes and it's kind of sliding around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. It's going to vary depending yes. on the series. Poor Krasnovia. But if, oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> stack waffles. <laughs> but the thing is, guys, if, if I didn't have my name and my fan base, then that wouldn't have done any good. Yeah. Because people are too hesitant because the market's been burned. But guys, market, I'm talking to the market directly, not the authors. Market, you got to get over yourself. Yeah. You got to move on. You're strangling I mean, these people. You're strangling these poor authors. They never have a shot if you don't give them a shot. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen this with Saga of the Forgotten Warrior. We've seen this with Servants of War now. Well, Saga of the Forgotten Warrior is interesting because it's been a slow burn. And every time I increase the size of the series, and I already know it, it's going to be a five-book series. And that's been the plan for the last... What seven years? Originally, it's going to be a trilogy, but Tony Weiss Tony comes to that weren't going to fit. <laughs> but ever since the second book came out, we knew it was going to be that, and it'll it theoretically should be ten years for first book to last. Yeah. It might be eleven. I don't know, but we're going to be right within that window. Depends on publishing schedule. It depends that. on publishing schedule, honestly. And there's just you know, here's the thing, guys. I'm, uh, all authors were human. 
We have, de- I had a delay last year due to uh, a major, huge health problem yep. in, with a member of my family. Yep. Sorry, writers, or sorry, one-star reviewers on Amazon, but that comes first. Yeah. And it, 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 otherwise, just hire a chatbot to write your books for you because, sorry, guys, if you want art from artists, artists are human, and that, that's what makes their art good. You know, I remember talking with, uh, with an author, uh, Brian McClellan. Who, good dude. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. Um, and I love, and I love his books. Um, aside from Brandon Sanderson, he probably has the closest to Brandon Sanderson's style magic systems as Brandon does, um, outside of Brandon. Um, and his powder mage series is freaking rad. Uh, so I remember talking to him at Gen Con. Oh, this was after book, right after book two came out in that series. So it's, it's been a minute. Um, he had, he had basket accounting for his entire series. Ouch. Which, which sucks. It, it was, it was for three books, not for six. For those of you that don't know, that's like, you don't start collecting royalties on earning out until after the entire series is yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah. Until, yeah. So, you know, if it, if it was $10,000 a book, which his, his were much higher than that. If it was $10,000 a book for three books, then he has to earn not 10,000. He has to earn 30,000. Yeah. In order to, to be considered breaking. Those aren't the real numbers, but that illustrates how yeah, basket was, accounting works. It was much more than that. Publishers like that because it's good for their cash flow, but it really sucks for the author because it yeah. takes a while. Well, yeah. There's a lot of weird negatives to that. Anyway, point is, book one came out. It was super well-reviewed because the first Powder Mage book freaking rocks. It's awesome. Then the second book came out, and it was still really freaking good. I mean, it, it, Brian is a terrific author. He's a terrific author. Uh, but I remember talking to him. He's like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. He said, he said I just, I'm just not selling very well. He said, and, I, and I'm not sure why. Even at that time, I, I kind of knew why. I'd already been in and out of the book business for a while. Um, and I saw what was happening. Uh, and then, of course, years later, it was really, it's really easy to look back on this with hindsight and say, I know exactly what the frick was happening. Once the third book came out and that trilogy was completed, all of a sudden his sales spiked. Okay. And then for his next trilogy, he did really, really well because all of a sudden he had readers and he had a, a, a dedicated fan base who believed in him. He'd finished a trilogy. So all of the, all the people who were waiting on the fence finally, you know, stepped in and, and read the book, but he was already, he was doing pretty okay with the first book. But again, to your earlier point, Larry, how many, how many authors out there who are super awesome were never given the chance to write books two and three in their series because readers were like, eh, I got burned by Rothfuss and Martin, so I'm not going to read anything right now. Here's a kicker. I guarantee, I guarantee with absolute certainty in my heart, I, I, I have no way of proving this, but I know this is absolutely true that there were several authors who had, would have had a f- three book, five book, seven book series better, far better than Wise Man's Fear or Game of Thrones that did not get to finish it because of those two guys. I guarantee it. Absolute certainty. There's book ones out there floating around that I have never heard of and you haven't heard of and no one has ever seen and they got remaindered because they sent them out to the bookstore ourselves and they got dusty and sent back. The cover's torn off. <laughs> okay. For the paperbacks, yeah. Yeah. Or they actually, if they even got a paperback. Yeah. Which they might not have because of George Martin. Here's the thing, guys. George Martin don't care. George Martin's got a billion dollars. George Martin has so much money. He's got a gravy well, faucet in his house. And he doesn't. He doesn't have to finish his series. He won't. And he won't. And neither will Rothfuss because there's no incentive on a personal level for them to do so. When you guys in the audience, like once again, I'm talking to the, the readers, not the writers here. You guys in the audience, you can be mad at George and Pat. All right. That's great. Go ahead. Do not take it out on these other authors who have not failed you yet. Yeah. You never gave them a chance to fail you. You are the abused spouse in an abusive relationship, and it's time for you to move out of the trailer park. Yeah. Yeah. The The thing that I think is the most disappointing about this, Larry, um, I'm, 
I, I'm a pretty new author in in the grand scheme of things in terms of production, right? I'm, I'm fairly, we'll say I'm fairly new at this. Um, and I have a couple books out and, and a load of short stories out, but I'm still pretty new. Um, you know, I, I, and I'm, and I have a science fiction series I'm working on. I have a series of thrillers I'm working on with Mike Rothman. Uh, and I have, um, and I have, you know, the werewolf cop series I want to do. I have, a, I have a lot of these series and the whole time I'm thinking of any of those series, I think, okay, well, I hope people give it a chance. You know, you know, say, say I turn in werewolf, say I turn into werewolf cop tomorrow. Okay. Uh, and it was the best thing I'd ever written. Um, I, I, I actually believe that the short story I wrote, which comes out in January, I think it's one of the best short stories. I think it's the best short story I've written. Yeah, it's good. I, re- um, I edited it. <laughs> and, yeah. And homie and Casey. Well, yeah. Um, I look at that and and, and let's say I had, you know, the book was done. I turned it in tomorrow. Um, my first thought of this is, well, Larry's name isn't on this cover. So, you know, I'm not insulated. Is, is this going to sell anything? And and unfortunately guys like me, we have to worry about that. You do. Luckily, urban fantasy readers weren't as burned as epic fantasy readers. They haven't been because because they've had guys like Butcher and Laurel. That said, for a while, Jim did have his dry spell because life came and kicked Jim in the balls. Yeah, I mean, he'd only produced 25 novels the, within like 10 years. That's the kicker. Jim, for a while, there was producing a book and a half to two books a year for many, many years. And then he had like like a, like a three, four year spell that was just like was five years. Five yeah. years. Yeah. And what happened? Everybody got all butthurt. Because I tell you guys, well, because, because they kept sucks. saying, because they kept saying, and, and we saw that we saw this exact thing specifically, uh, and, and we've, and we've argued with people specifically about this, Larry, where they've said, they said, uh, you know, guys like Martin and Rothfuss and now Butcher, and they start lumping Butcher into that oh, because man, they see I, him doing that. And we're like, oh, how many oh, times did you see me jump in on that one? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry that, that that Jim has, you know, only written 9 million books and kept you occupied for hours upon hours. Yeah. And I'm sorry that he had, a, well, that he had a bad couple of years because of life. Yeah. And so I jumped into street fight on that one a few times. Yeah. Guys, don't be entitled jerks. That's, that's the key. Keep in mind, authors are human. And if you don't give them a shot, they ain't going to get a shot. But here's the super negative about this, Larry. Um, and, and you and I were talking about this at the break. And that's that what, what's happening, the, the real, the real kind of end cause or the, or the end result of, of, of all this is we're seeing an entire generation of authors just die. Yeah. Because no one's reading them. So it's like, it's like, what? okay. So, so from a business perspective, uh, do you remember when we were young and when you try to get your first credit card? And it was, and it was, you try to get your credit card, but they said, no, you can't get a credit card because you don't have any credit. You're like, well, how do I get credit? Said, oh, well, you just get a credit card. You know, it's that kind of weird cycle of terribleness. Well, they really changed that, didn't they? Yeah, that, that's well, <laughs> it's not a game, you know, that, whatever. You can, you can, I mean, you can sneeze and get seven credit cards these days. But it's, it's, it's a somewhat related cycle here where, you know, we have so many great authors out there and they're told from the publishers, you know, write something that can be turned into a series. I'm like, okay, I'll write a series. So they go and they write a series, but no one buys it. They're like, well, maybe I should have just written a standalone. But then the people are like, well, no, 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 no. Publishers are like, no, no, no. Don't write a standalone because standalones don't have the selling power of series, which is statistically true. So they're like, well, then well, what am I writing then? I, you know, I can't write a series because it might not sell, but I can't write a standalone because it doesn't sell like a series. So what am I supposed to write? Uh, and a lot of the, this is, dude, this is just fallout from people who, um, from people who refuse to be professionals. Whatever they choose to write, I'm sure it'll have a better ending than Game of Thrones. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. All right. Um, 
that's all the time we have for you today. I, and I know we, we kind of ended on a, on, a, on a negative sour note there. But it's more of a plea. This is more of a plea to, to you who are out there. Now, we know that a lot of the people who listen to this are authors. So it's, it's important for you, one, to understand what, what's going on right now, but also to educate your reader bases on what's happening with this. The more education, the more people understand how this is hurting, not just, you know, me or Larry or, or you, Joe Schmo out there as the, as the author. Um, or Daw, the publisher. Or Daw, the publisher, who isn't, probably isn't going to exist with Now is owned by the communist Chinese because. They... Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's important for you to educate your fan bases and say, look, if you don't put a little bit of faith in us, you're, you're never going to be able to put faith in us again after this because we're all going to, we're all going to disappear. You could wait for the end of the series, but there won't be any. Yeah. All right. So that's all the time we have for you today. Um, if you have any other questions about this, of course, you can always send them in. Uh, and, uh, and look, we, we appreciate what you guys do. We appreciate the, all of the, frankly, we appreciate the faith that you've put in us as for this podcast. Uh, you know, I think we've we've put out 85, 86, something like that episodes. We're closing in on the century mark pretty quick here, and uh, and we appreciate all of you who've who've stuck with us for this duration, or who've who've come in during the middle or or just recently. So um, we appreciate all of you guys, uh, and we appreciate those of you uh, who also happen to be our readers out there. Um, keep reading, read far and wide, and for you authors out there, uh, remember high tides raise all ships be one of the people who's who's helping raise the ships don't be the guy who's poking holes in other people's ships all right this is the writer dojo we'll see you on the next one writer dojo is steve diamond and larry korea produced by jack wilder and bear and hair studios theme song word mercenaries by craig naivo new episodes come out every wednesday wherever you stream your content If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Like I'm a huffle slither in a slither puff in a, a jiggly griff or whatever.